Dan, thank you for leading us in worship today, for taking us into the presence of the Lord. And uh, what, a, what a joy. And, uh, you know, I like to just get a chance to look at your faces for a moment. Yes, you all looking very good. It's good to see some, some familiar faces and to reconnect with some folks that we haven't seen for some time. It is a joy to be uh, gathered together with you. I am curious because I asked this in the first service too. How many of you are sitting in the same seat that you always used to sit in? Yeah. All right. Creatures of habit. That's all right. Nothing wrong with that. We're glad that you're here. We're welcoming you back. Uh, the first thing I would like to do as we get into our message time today Uh, I would like to share with you a bit of an update on a couple of things. And this is something I actually get to do periodically. Every couple of months, I send a membership update. I send a little video out that has kind of any number of things, some things you can be praying for, for our kind of core members of the church, Uh, different updates to maybe questions that people have been asking, etc. So I was getting ready to do that as we were kind of turning the corner from June into July. And I started kind of getting thoughts down. I said, you know what? I want to share this message with all of our listening audience, all of our congregation, whether you're joining us from your home uh, or those that are gathered here today, not just our members, because there's a few things that I want you to be able to hear from me as your pastor, especially as we come into a new season. It's actually a pretty short message. I got three words for you today. You ready for them? Write these down. We are okay. (laughs) All right? Yeah, praise the Lord for okay. That's all right. Sometimes you just need to hear that. And people are asking questions, you know, is the church okay? Are we going to be are we going to be able to transition in? What about the financial picture? What there's a lot of very good questions that people are asking from a place of genuine concern. They want to make sure that we're doing okay. It made me think a little bit about like when you fly on a plane and uh, I don't like turbulence on the on the plane, but you know when it gets really rough, I'm always looking for the people who work there. You know, I want to see the men and women who have been there before. If they are nervous, now I know I can be nervous. If they're saying, it's going to be okay, I look at it and I say, okay. That's, so I want to be your flight attendant here today and say, it's okay. We've had some turbulence. We've had some difficulty. We've had some very uh, uh, challenging seasons that we've been walking through. But God has been absolutely faithful. Somebody shared this with me this week, and I thought, man, if that is not a great metaphor, I don't know what is. But he said, you know, it's kind of like Noah's Ark. And I was like, we're kind of like Noah's Ark, a bunch of animals or what, you know, what's a, no. He said, you know, Noah, you know, they're they're floating around and, you know, you you can only imagine in the midst of those 40 days and nights rain and, and, and uncertainty and then floating and uncertainty. And then there was a moment where they actually finally came to rest again on the solid ground. And I suspect that at that moment, which is sort of like where we feel like right now, you know, we're, we're, the job's not done, the journey's not over, there's still plenty of work to be done in front of us, but you sort of have this sense of like, okay, I think I'm feeling a little more stability now, maybe than I was feeling two months ago or six months ago or certainly a year ago. So you come to that place of stability. And then I started thinking about, that is actually a really good metaphor, because what was it like for them I never thought about this before. What was the disembarking process like in the ark? Because you know it wasn't like, all right, everybody off. You know, they couldn't do it like that. I mean, it's sort of like, we got to make a plan. We got to think through this. You know, these animals need to go before these animals and da-da-da, and we're going to. And you know, there's probably messes 
People probably stepped in something that they didn't want to. You know what I mean? There was a, there was a process and there was a lot of work to be done. I mean, they got off that earth, earth uh, off the ark and it was sort of like, okay, we got to sort of figure out what's next now and what does things look like. And so I share that with you today to tell you that we are okay. Financially, we are okay. We've been in a season where the Lord has been gracious to us. We've been able to keep our expenses less than the overall giving. And like, that's all, that's good. It's a testimony to your faithfulness and the way that God has used your generosity, your sacrifices to help hold things together despite a whole lot of uncertainty and storms and everything else. And, and I guess what I would share with you as I reflect on all of that is this, that the, the priceless contributions that you as a church family have made go well beyond any giving that has been done, though that has been huge. That has been a, a wonderful blessing. But I'm thinking about the contributions of your, your words of encouragement. Like you don't have to do that. You can choose to do that. And many of you have, in, this, in the midst of uncertainty, said, you know, I'm going to choose to speak life. I'm going to choose to encourage leadership and one another. And that's awesome. I think about your patience through trials. There is no way that any of us have come through this last season without a significant number of things that didn't quote-unquote go the way we had hoped, right? And that, that touches on every aspect of our life, and yet you've shown patience through trials. Your prayers for God's will to be done, for his kingdom to come, even when things feel sideways here, is absolutely invaluable. And so I, I just want to say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And I think I'd just like to sing it with you this morning and ask you to join me as we reflect on his goodness to us up to this point. And we simply say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And all God's people sang, Thus far, the Lord has led us, and he will lead us forward, and we're going to be okay. God's in control, and he's got us. I'm glad to be on this journey with you. And you know, in that spirit, as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to finish uh, the, the letter to the Thessalonians today. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. The question, I think, that's, that's pivotal is what is Jesus saying to the church now? What's, what's the Lord stirring? What's he doing? Has he, you know, forgotten us? Is he working with us? Does he have plans for us? And we say, yes, of course he has plans for us. What is Jesus saying to the church now? And um, we're going to dig into this last section of the book. And I also today, I would like to kind of set the stage just a little bit for where we're going to go next because we're going to talk about kind of what does the rebuilding time look like? What does God have for us over these next several months? There's a lot to do. There's a lot to figure out. There's a lot to reconstruct, if you will. 
and a lot of prayers in the meantime. And, and we've, we've kind of chosen this phrase, experience the restoration of God. When we talk about rebuilding, we're talking about experiencing the restoration of God. Of God, And there's all kinds of places in my life and in your life as well that probably need that, and we're going to seek that together. So what we've seen so far in 1 Thessalonians, let's wrap up this, uh, this series today. Uh, in chapter 1, we talked about the transformational work of the gospel. Uh, Paul's just, you know, affirmation to them. Your faith is legitimate. Your faith is real. Your conversion is, is significant. You came out of darkness and into light. People are talking about your faith because it is inspiring people way beyond even what you know. In chapter 2, he talked about the bond of those connected through the gospel. He said it was our joy not to only share the gospel with you, but our very lives as well. In chapter 3, he talked about the endurance of those who believe the gospel, and that endurance being tested in many ways. In chapter 4 and 5, he talked about the hope of those who receive the gospel, and we have reflected on that over these last recent weeks. We've seen following Jesus produces a countercultural or holy way of life that is motivated by hope, demonstrated by holiness, and is resilient, enduring in love. And then Paul picks up now his final instructions to this church that he loves so dearly in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians 5, and that's where we'll pick up today. He reads this. He writes this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. We are going to come back to that beautiful benediction at the end of the service and as we conclude this whole thing, but we're going to stop there for now. The, the title of the message today I had a little bit of fun with. I'm calling it 15 Quick Reminders. Uh, it, it sort of feels that way, and I don't know if you have been in a situation, maybe relationally, maybe in your marriage, maybe work-related or whatever, where you have somebody in your life who would say like, oh, don't forget one more thing. Does anybody have that, like, oh, don't forget, one more thing. Just kind of take the opportunity to remind you of that one last thing that you need to do. That's sort of what it feels like a little bit here as Paul comes to the end because he has a whole litany of things that he wants to make sure that they remember. Now, in my marriage, I heard one person sort of describe it this way, and I thought that this related to my marriage, sort of like this. Uh, your wife will ask you, my wife will ask me, uh, can you pick up some milk on the way home? You know, these are the kind of little reminders that come in, a little text or whatever. Oh, can you do this? Pick this up. Sure, no problem. Uh, can you take uh, kid number two to the event that you need? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can get kid number two where they need to go. No problem. Uh, can you feed the dog before you leave? Yeah, one more thing real quick. Yeah, no problem, whatever. 
Uh, can you start the dishwasher before, you know, when you're going through the kitchen? And this is where I have come to a realization of my limits. And so I've become very honest. You know, I'll say, actually, on that one, my list is now full. Because as you probably know, after decades of being married to me, I've only got so many before I can't do any more. And so here's what that means. Um, it means that I would be happy to, you know, pick up the kid. I would be happy to get some milk. I would be happy to feed the dog. And I would be happy to do the dishwasher. But if I do the dishwasher, one of those other thing, three things is probably going to go. I'm either going to forget the milk, lose a kid, or forget to feed the dog. So you pick which ones you want me to do. And so then we prioritize, and it's good. The end of 1 Thessalonians feels a little bit like that. One more thing, you know, oh, don't forget this. Following Jesus, we said, produces this countercultural holy way of life, motivated by hope, demonstrated by holiness. It's resilient and enduring in love. And now you can sort of feel as Paul is closing this thing down, just this deep love for his friends and his fellow believers. He's saying, I don't want you to miss anything in God's good plan for you. I want you to get it all. And so don't forget these last things. Now, I suspect that a message that has 15 points in it has to have something for everybody, right? I mean, there's got to be at least one thing the, the Holy Spirit today is going to say, yeah, that one is for you. So write that thing down and figure it out. But we're going to take all of this to the communion table, and we're going to trust that the Lord is going to lead us well. I've actually sort of brought these into sort of four sort of themes as I read through this whole list, laundry list, if you will, from Paul. The first one is this. The first theme is this. Saying to the church that he loves, I want you to demonstrate interdependence and unity. And specifically, he says this, we ask you, brothers and sisters, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and admonish you. Respect your leaders. That's number one. You want to get this thing right as you're living in light of eternity and being the kind of church that is ready for the coming of the king. Here's a big one. Respect your leaders. And then, very simply, be at peace or live in peace with each other. I'm going to pause on that. Only, that's only the first two. We've got 13 more to go. But let me pause on that for a minute and ask you, I think this is vital that we understand how we see the church how we understand this living, breathing thing, this organic thing that God has given us in the church. What is it? Is it just something that you decided to show up to because we were doing services in a certain way again or whatever? Or is there something more to it? Now, Scripture gives us many examples of how we can see the church. We're referred to as a body with many parts that make up a cohesive whole. We're referred to as a team of athletes who train to win an eternal prize. We're referred to as a family who shares in the burdens and joys of one another. We're referred to as an army ready to fight for our king. But as you think about how you see the church, I want to make the argument to you today, especially in light of these first two, respect your leadership, be, in, be at peace with one another that it's vitally important that we maintain a scriptural grasp on what the church is. So that if we are the body, Christ is the head. If we are the team, then Christ is the captain. If we are the family, then Christ is our protector, provider, and nurturer. And if we are, in fact, an army, then Christ is our king. 
I share this with you today because I think Paul's going after something important, again, with a church that he loves that is largely getting a lot of these things right, and yet he gives them this encouragement. Respect the leadership that have been appointed over you. That would be the elders that were left there. And then live at peace with one another. You see, when we lose a scriptural view of the church, we may inadvertently shift into modes defined by consumerism or competition or ego, and we may start to fight among the, over the wrong things or at the wrong times. Conversely, if, if we're not keeping a scriptural view of what this church is, we may become passive or lazy. In all of that, as we work to have peace with one another, we've shared many times over this last year, we need to not assume the worst when we disagree. I think Paul is, is simply showing us that we can get out of sync with the spirit of Christ and we can get out of sync with each other. So may we be intentional in this area. We need to hear the voice of our captain. He calls us to a place of humble action. I think Jesus wants you to see his church as a place where you may be engaged, but where you always stay humble. So th this call to say, I want, you to, I want you to respect your leadership. Some of you are thinking, that sounds like a fairly self-serving thing for the lead pastor to be telling me right now. You know, maybe a staff pastor could get away with that better than the lead guy, but come on. The beautiful thing, church, is that in the body of Christ, every one of us is called to a place of mutual submission. There is no dictatorial voice. There is no high king in this organization except for the high king, that is Jesus Christ. I have the joy in my leadership of submitting to a board of elders. They are the ones that I answer to. They are the ones that if they say stop, I'm going to stop. If they say go, I'm going to go. And that is my call as a leader to submit to them. I have the joy on a regular basis to talk with Nate Howard. He's our district superintendent. He's my pastor. He's my leader. And so I have the opportunity. But I oftentimes think about this. I think when I'm speaking to him, am I speaking in a way that is causing his leadership to be a joy and not a burden? Because he prays for me. He has responsibility for me. So I want that responsibility to be a joy for him and not a burden. The reality is he's carrying weights I know nothing about. He's carrying burdens and taking hits and getting fiery darts thrown at him. He's got, a, he's got a bullseye on his back that I don't fully understand. And so I want to help in, in following his lead to let his leadership be a joy and not a burden. Paul says this is important for us as a church. If we're going to live in light of eternity, we've got to respect our leaders. We've got to be at peace with one another. The second category, we've got a few more. We're going to get through six on this one. The second one is this, that we are to engage and encourage one another. And he gives actually a variety of ways. Verse 14, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and by the way, be patient with everyone. Now all of these, you know, I, I look at these, I go, that, that, that is not a small list of things for us to be remembering. Admonish the idle and disruptive, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient. But I want to tell you what I love about this passage. 
is that Paul is acknowledging several things here for his brothers and sisters and for us in Christ. First of all, he's acknowledging the battles that we face are very real. The experiences that you go through as you try to follow hard after Christ and as you go through that journey with him, that narrow way kind of journey, not easy, the battles that you face are real. The old nature, the self that is here, the old nature is still alive and kicking. And Paul is acknowledging that as he's encouraging his church friends. Discouragement is a real thing. Some of you have, infa- have faced incredible discouragement in this season. Perhaps maybe like you have never experienced before. It's a real thing. If these, if these things weren't real, if the self wasn't real, discouragement wasn't real, the spiritual battles weren't real, Paul would not have to write these kind of things. But he does because they are. Fatigue is a part of your cycle. And there are some that would say, I need to get some rest. I'm physically tired. I'm spiritually tired. I've been carrying a lot. Rest and recovery is important. I find this interesting that he actually says uh, to the <laughs> admonish the idle and the disruptive. You know, I mean, it just—it's so beautiful because I think Paul's like he—he he gets it, right? I mean, many, most of us, we look at our church experience, and it's very easy to see the negatives. It's very easy to see the person that rubs you the wrong way, all that kind of stuff. That is part of our experience. We're drawn to those negatives, but the reality is, these are not new challenges. We walk through the same human challenges that Paul did then. He said, look, you got to admonish the idle, the people who are kind of sitting around, they got to get moving. The reason that they're sitting around and got to get moving is that they have lost a scriptural view of what the church is. It's very hard to understand the mission of the church when we're not understanding the identity of the church, that we are the hands and feet of Christ in this broken world called to bring his redemptive work. So to some, there is this, let's get moving. Let's get on track with that. You know, you've been walking, you've been, you've been soaking it in for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. You need to be pouring out and be active and not be idle. And then he says, admonish the disruptive I guess in the Thessalonian church that were good folks that Paul loved, there were times that people were disruptive. I thought about this, you know, because we just used this illustration a moment ago about soldiers in the army of God. And I think we need to be just a tiny bit cautious with this because we are in a season where everybody is ready to fight. Have you noticed this? Does anybody want to fight me for saying that? Come on, let's go, let's go right now. Everybody's ready to fight. Everybody's kind of in fight mode all the time. So we got to be a little careful. We say, well, if I'm soldiers in the army of God, then that means that I'm fighting. But think about it. No. A soldier needs to be prepared to fight. A soldier needs to be ready when duty calls. What kind of army would we be if all we did was just run around and fight whoever is closest? But sometimes that's what we look like. In the church. So Paul's saying, you got to admonish those. You're being disruptive. And you may be passionate about all the right things, but you need to have the grace of God to help you point it in the right direction and, and work on the timing, right? Let us be a people who understand this. So Paul says, yeah, admonish the idle and the disruptive. The, the thing I see here in this engagement with one another, encouragement one to another, we have missed each other. 
in a lot of ways. We've missed each other. We've dealt with isolation. Some of us dealt with loneliness. I mean, these are very real things in the body of Christ. There are times that we need to be honest about saying, look, I've got some recovering to do. And there's other times where we need to have eyes to see within the body of Christ those who maybe just need a little bit of encouragement, someone to walk alongside of them. I was uh, taking a hike with the family several months ago, and uh, we're walking down this path, and I see this guy coming toward us, and he's pushing a bike. And I don't know why that was sort of like, sort of seemed a little odd. I wonder, didn't know why he wasn't riding his bike. And then as he got a little closer, I see that the guy's like a bloody mess, and he says, does anybody have a first aid kit? And it was actually kind of a fun moment because we did have a first aid kit. It was like the, the kids had packed their first aid just in case, and we were ready for that moment. And so we went into doctor mode, and we're pouring water on wounds, and we're wrapping stuff in gauze, and we're trying to get things cleaned up. This guy, had, had, he, had, he was bleeding sort of severely in the one place, and so he had stopped the bleeding with a big chunk of moss, like from the forest floor. Just, And I was, I was talking to him about it, and I was like, that might have been a great idea. That might have been a bad idea. Who knows what was all kind of growing in that kind of stuff or whatever. So anyway, we had this experience. We helped this guy out. I got his number, and I did call him later. And he said, yeah, I was able to get in, and I saw the doctor. Uh, in case you were wondering, the moss was a bad idea. <laughs> so my little public uh, service announcement to you today, <laughs> if you're bleeding heavily, maybe find something, not moss. He said he put me on an antibiotic because of the moss. So I said, Fair enough, good to know. But that injured guy, you know, having the wherewithal to say, I need a little bit of help right now. And even if it's asking some strangers, I'd be willing to do that because I'm actually hurting and a little concerned. And uh, I think sometimes in the church, we, we have had and will have experiences like that as we engage and encourage one another. Sometimes we are called to help those who are in need. Uh, and, and many of you have done that. You know, I mean, I've seen that countless times over these last many months, the ways in which the body of Christ has been active, 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 finding those ways to come around those who are hurting or in a bad place. Sometimes we need to ask for help. And please keep in mind that when you're getting that help, Moss doesn't make a good bandage. Um, the third one I want to look at with you today is is living above your circumstances. Okay, so now Paul says this. He says, make sure no one pays back wrong for wrong. Uh, always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And, and then he gives sort of three things I think are, are huge kind of like transcenders of circumstance, right? He says this. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And then specifically, give thanks in all circumstances. And I share this with you this morning with this hope that, that we would understand the more firmly we are anchored in the gospel, the less we are living at the mercy of our circumstances. Paul actually writes this to the Roman church. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then as if to say, you know, don't just run by that. Because many of us have heard that verse a lot of times. But then he says, don't just run by that because this is what that actually means for us. 
through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. If you are in Christ today, you have a right standing with him because of the finished work of Jesus. He, on, he goes on to say this, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We preached on that a lot this year. But don't miss the reality of what he's calling us to. We live above our circumstances when we are anchored in the gospel. The more I lose my anchoring in the gospel, the more I am at the mercy of circumstances which are often not good. And the more I can find myself becoming discouraged and overwhelmed. One of the most powerful witnesses that we see is joy amidst adversity. And I have seen that many times in many of your lives. You have been my teacher on this front. So we're called to live above our circumstances. We're also called to pray without ceasing, which sounds like a pretty, pretty lofty task. Pray without ceasing. That we would be known as the kind of people who go through our life and our day and our different seasons, even when things are hard, we go through with a sense of connection to the Spirit of God to pray without ceasing. That we don't go into new plans or new seasons without leaning in to prayer. And so this is a challenge. Every community group, every serious uh, leader that is here, every follower of Christ that is here, to allow this season to be a season of prayer. Because if we are to rebuild and if we are to see what God has for us next, we are not going to see anything of spiritual significance apart from prayer. There is no greater task than to see God's people praying. And so we are going to do our best to give you opportunities to lean in in this spirit of prayer. It's one of the key ways that we live above our circumstances. I'm going to take us into the last one now, the last kind of area, and that is to keep listening and learning. Paul says this, do not quench the spirit. That's huge. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. When he says don't quench the spirit, I think he is given, again, this is a church that he loves. This is a church that's getting it right. And he says, I want you to keep those fires going in the work of the Holy Spirit alive because it is the spirit who gives life. It is the Holy Spirit of God who reveals truth. It is the Holy Spirit of God who convicts of sin. It is the Holy Spirit of God who gives gifts, who produces fruits. It is the Holy Spirit of God that exalts Jesus Christ. And so that, again, that, that tiny little phrase, don't quench the Spirit, don't miss that on your list today. It is probably one of the most important ones for us as we go forward. And then we say, well, how do we do that? He says, well, we need to, we need to not treat the prophecies with contempt. We're, we're hearing instruction right now, good teaching from our, our district leadership, talking about reclaiming the prophetic voice in the church. 
that for so long the prophetic has been relegated to the weird or the simply confrontational. And the prophetic voice is where we ask the question, what is Jesus saying to his church now? What is Jesus saying even in the midst of adversity or difficulty or disruption? What is Christ saying to his church? I remember praying with Amy many times during this pandemic, and one of the prayers that God kept bringing her heart back to, and with tears in her eyes, I remember her saying this to me. She said, I just don't want us to miss what God has for us just because things are difficult and disrupted. There was something impressed on her heart to say, don't miss what Jesus is saying or assume that he's not speaking just because things don't feel normal right now. Don't miss the voice of Christ. He speaks in trials, sometimes in more clear ways. So keep listening. Keep learning. I think that's going to continue to be one of my prayers just for our church, you know, just to simply say, listen, I don't care how old you are. If you're 13 years old now and you've decided you've, you know everything, congratulations. This is the time, by the way, to leave home before you <laughs> figure out that you haven't figured it all out. I'm kidding, don't leave home. Maybe you're in your 20s now and you've figured that you've, you've learned a lot. Maybe you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s. Maybe you're retired Maybe you're in your 70s, maybe you're in your 80s, maybe you're in your 90s. Keep listening. Keep learning. If anybody say, uh, I think I still have some things to learn, say amen if that's true of you. Good, I'm in good company. I want to encourage you with one thought before we go to communion as I think about this list. 15 quick reminders. I hope one of them touches a nerve, and maybe leads you forward a little bit today. I find it interesting that throughout this letter to the Thessalonians, Paul is writing on a lot of subjects for which you and I have no control. I'm starting to think about this, you know, and he talks about things like persecution. We don't get to determine when or how or how much or all of those kind of things. Persecution is going to come. Trials are going to come. And you have very little control over what you're going to face. It's just the way it is. It's interesting that, that Paul writes things like this. It is God's will that you would be sanctified. Now, it could be God's will for many different things, but you don't get to pick what God's will is. You get to receive and you get to hear it. The second coming of Christ. No man knows the hour or the, the time. We don't know when the day is going to be. There's all kinds of things that are not in your control. Even the salvation message, though we are called to be proclaimers of the gospel, we don't determine how people are going to respond or when, when they hear it. It's not in your control. And then you come to these last things, and I guess the piece that strikes me with these 15 quick reminders is that now Paul gives a list of imperatives. Each one of these is an invitation to respond to the work of Christ. Each one of these, he's now saying, I'm putting these in your hand. You will make a choice whether or not you will pray. You will make a choice whether or not you will encourage. You will make a choice whether or not you will be at peace with one another. You will make a choice whether or not you're going to quench the work of the Spirit in your life or embrace it. 
And all through, we see these imperatives, each one an invitation to respond to the work of Christ and to join him in his mission of hope. These are markers of those who would choose to live in light of eternity. And so as we come to the end of this series and come into a a new season that the Lord is leading, I wonder maybe if there's something that the Lord is calling you to say yes to today. And the beauty of us going to the communion table now is that we are saying yes to a Savior who has already given us his best. He's given his best for you. He's given his best for me. He's laid out his life for me. His body was broken for you. His body was broken for me. His blood was shed for you. His blood shed for me. And then when he invites us to say, I want you to be responsive now. I want you to say yes to me. We're saying yes to someone who's already given us his very best. So I would encourage you as we pray to allow the Holy Spirit to stir in your heart. Maybe there's something that you need to say yes to him. We're going to meet at the communion table in a moment. So let me just, even as we're praying, feel free to step up if you need to get some uh, communion elements. If you weren't able to do that on the front end of the of the service, feel free to do that. If you need help, meaning that you're kind of boxed into a row or you're just not physically able to jump up and do that, just raise a hand and one of our brothers and sisters here will be delighted to come and help you with that. So as some people are moving, we're just going to pray. Holy Spirit, would you help us even now? Uh, we, We are looking to you to lead us, to guide us, to meet us in a special way. So Jesus, we're, we're recognizing your finished work. And as we come to the communion table and, and we have the joy now of receiving from you, I pray that there would just be a special encounter. Lord, I pray that all over this room, that all over this room that there would be a sense of purpose. Lord, that you would give us maybe one thing, two things, 10 things, 15 things, things that we didn't even talk about today, but we know is business that we need to deal with, with you. I pray that you would lead us forward in that. Give us courageous hearts. God, give us a warrior spirit that won't back down, but give us a discerning spirit that would teach us to know when to fight. I pray, Jesus, that we would be like the Thessalonian church that was encouraged for their faithfulness. That we're living in light of eternity in all of these ways and many more. So I pray that you would help us with that today, Lord. We have work ahead of us. There is work to be done. I pray that you would show us what our part would be. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thus far, you have led us, and we believe you will lead us as we go forward. We, we, we long for that. We yearn for that. I want to give one last invitation, and that is to the person that may be hearing this message, having never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Today, as we celebrate his broken body, his shed blood, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the opportunity for you to say, I believe in what Jesus Christ has done, and I fall on his finished work for the forgiveness of my sin. In your own words and from your own heart, to pray that to him and then to meet us at the communion table and to celebrate with joy what he has done.